is what we came to see. The finals of the Buckhouse Stampede, the third annual finals of the Stampede, and it is going to be wild and woolly. We're going to, there's no way that we're going to be able to call all of the action. It's eight men in a ring, and it's just a wild melee as they all eight go after each other. We welcome back regular co-host Dan Phillips for this month in Wrestling History 8 and our look back at NWA's Bunkhouse Stampede from January the 24th, 1988. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm very good. Um, you know, just a shout out that see, since I was last on, I'm currently wearing a hairband. Yes. Um, just want that out there. And just to clarify, that's a hairband that Steve brought me when we went to Darts dressed as Chris Jericho. Um, to wear with my blonde wig. Uh, and then secondly, it's the first time I've been on since I've been mistaken as your nephew. Yes. And uh, Oklahoma Sooners' uh, lucky mascot. So lots of lots have happened and all, and all good, maybe, yeah. rather, other than the other than the hairband, which I don't think is a good look. But. Well, I don't know. You take it back. So basically, we, you can't get your hair cut uh, legally in the UK, I suppose, is the way to put it. You can't, can you, I suppose? Yeah. But I'm sure... No. Some of, some of the professional footballers that we see on uh, on uh, the weekend have got, you know, fresh barnets. Barnet is a slang word for haircut in uh, yeah, hair, yeah. I suppose, in the UK. Alas, I went the option of having my hair shaved off on the day after Christmas Day and looked awful, um, very, very bald. And you've gone just to and that, it, and that may or, that Well, that may or may not have attributed to the me growing it, seeing yeah. the results <laughs> of you not doing it. I think when oh, yeah. you first saw it, you went, oh, I think that's, that's quite a haircut. It might have been really more unkind than that. <laughs> Anyway, so we've got a lot to get through on this this just truly wonderful event that I pick. So it's I'm fully to blame for this one. So in a bit of background for this event, in 1985, NWA's Jim Crockett Promotions came up with a new match to increase the fans' interest in their product. So the Bunkhouse Stampede was a regular battle royal where the wrestlers wore bunkhouse gear, so blue jeans, cowboy boots, etc. to the match, similar to street fights. Weapons were also allowed, and to win the match, a wrestler had to be the last one in the ring, with all of the other wrestlers having been thrown over the top rope. So these were more often than not bloody matches, as there were several weapons involved. Um, so each year, there were several bunkhouse stampedes held in the pre prior weeks, with the winners of each one going to the final bunkhouse stampede to battle for the championship. So these began in 1985, and the last was held in 1989, after which it was thankfully abandoned. The winner was awarded a large bronze cowboy boot for their efforts. Um, and the Bunkhouse Finals in 1988 was the first version presented on pay-per-view. And of course, this was the night that the World Wrestling Federation countered with their first Royal Rumble event to be broadcast, albeit it was shown free on the USA Network rather than pay-per-view. So the NWA were deep in World Wrestling Federation territory for this one at Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Um, and at the start, we got some very funky 80s music and even funkier 80s graphics Welcome us to the NWA Bunkhouse Stampede Finals. I doubt this was the original music, um, actually thinking about it. So Nikita Koloff is out first. Um, and as I mentioned, I think they're pretty sure that was overdubbed. Um, and we cut then to Jim Ross and Bob Coddle, who's the, our, our announcers. And Tony Schiavone is in the somewhat unfamiliar role as ring announcer for this. Um, so Mid-South Connection first and one half of the current US Tag Team Champions, beautiful Bobby Eaton along with Jim Cornette, and he is challenging the aforementioned Nikita Koloff for the World Television Championship. So this show drew a respectable 6,000 people to what was not a traditional hotbed for the NWA. Um, and Eaton had on a truly vile pair of tights, which were luminous green on the back and luminous pink on the front. What did you make of these? They, 
do you know what? I looked at them and said, wow, look at this guy. He is rocking out with that. This is going to be a, this is going to be a big show. You know, this is going to be a big <laughs> show. Um, and also, from a clarifier, and you might cover it, but Mr. Cornette also had a fetching um, red jacket with a matching fluffy tennis racket. Very camp, oh, yeah. actually, yep. Jim Cornette was, I felt. And he came out very camp. Also, like, then, he, then he goes and like hugs hugs Bobby Eaton about four times before they start the match. Well, they, they used to use that in yeah, South, didn't remember, they? As yeah. a heel, heel tactic, kind of a um, heat, heat tactic as well, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I actually, first time I've, I think I've come across Bob Cordell, um, not someone that's overly familiar to me. Um, and they oh, yeah, yeah, festive yeah. Atmosphere. Yeah, they so I was going to say, yeah, he, around this time, he he was quite a feature because he's he's on one of the one of the three um, steamboat flares from '89, so the year after this, he's he's commentary on. So yeah, he's kind of around this this period. Yeah, so yeah, it mentioned a festive atmosphere. I mean, hard to tell at this stage what the atmosphere was going to be like. <laughs> um, there was obviously three championships on the line, and do you know what? It was all. I feel like we're already spoiling it by the way we've introduced this whole, this whole thing. Um, I'm choking, really. Steve's currently choking, choking on my comment there that sort of, maybe not the best thing to start a podcast. Number one, with the host maybe potentially dying and number two, sort of, in essence, alluding to the fact I'm, that... I'm back, sorry. This, yeah. this, was, this was a dubious show. Um, good, good cover. Sorry, unfortunately, that's what you get when you put blueberries in a gin and tonic and then you try and you drink go. them and it's just yeah it's this you, you i mean that wouldn't have been a good thing if i'd have choked to death live on air really i mean i suppose this podcast no, well, might I, never I have been heard well that would have been i would that would have been annoying because i would have carried on this going on my own yeah all right so, so. <laughs> yeah three hours i'm sure i'd have done the edit i would have done the editing yeah. by the end of the editing when you still got it running and they've got the ambulance and paramedics in there wow. i left that on as a bonus bonus feature at the end um but it was like a you know, Going down to Tony Giovanni to ring and stuff, it's sort of a bit like a boxing. The way it was set up, it reminded me of like a boxing event. Mm. Um, you know, went down to Tony Giovanni in the ring to introduce the competitors, and it, it was very set up like that. Um, and like you said, it's a couple of initial thoughts I had. Um, if we go to Eton, first of all, as you say, you know, lovely, lovely garments and stuff, but very much, um, I don't know what this. He is a tag team wrestler, right? As in, he's part of the Midnight Express. Yeah, so that is, he, he's known to be in a tag team. They are matching trunks with his partner, etc. And it did make you think, we're opening up with a, I think it's a TV tour match, all right? TV title, And yeah. it just made me think, how often does like a tag wrestler, and I mean a proper tag wrestler, go and win a major championship by himself? So, Not so, while so, they're still in the tag my, team, yeah. No, yeah. So like, I was I, like, so I was thinking, okay, you've got Edge, Christian, Jeff Hardy. I've had thing. Number one, I don't think they were still in there. I mean, they're technically always in their tag team, right? But I would say Edge and Christian's tag team was Edge and Christian. They were still yeah. two individuals. Yeah, the Hardy Boys were still Matt and Jeff, the Hardy Boys, right? But like the Midnight Express, if I'm honest, and the Rock and Roll Express and stuff, you could probably ask a lot of people wouldn't even know the names of the people in it they just knew that's the tag team they're proper tag team and they're just so straight away I was like oh we've got like a opening championship match never a good thing because very rarely <laughs> something goes that one with a with a guy that's a tag team wrestler um that was my initial thought I, I just I you know I just wanted to see you he did more anyone? singles 
Bob Eaton did more singles later. The only one that springs to mind, in fact, are the ones you you mentioned, is Jeff Hardy won the Intercontinental title for a couple of weeks in um, 2001, just after WrestleMania, I think it was. Maybe the SmackDown straight after WrestleMania. Uh, either the SmackDown straight after WrestleMania or, the, or one after that from Triple H, but then, then lost it straight back again. Um, there was kind of a brief feud with the Hardys. It's, just, and, it's very rare, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, it is rare for someone in the singles. And, more and, more and, often than not, yeah. so, sorry, more often than not, someone in a tag team who does a singles run is quite often because their tag team partner is injured. So I think some of the, some of the Ricky Morton did a, a number of main events with Flair, and I'm I'm okay. not I don't I don't think I'm wrong in thinking that Gibson was injured for some of that, and that's why that was sort of oh, pushing okay. that direction. So. Yeah, that's more often not the reason why you know tag specialist, if you like, gets in these these roles. Yeah, I mean, and then the only the other figure, the observation on on, on Koloff is just made me laugh about how, to be honest, it's only since I've been doing this podcast with you, I've realised how many of these Russian wrestlers weren't Russian. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then again, he walks out, and I'm like, God, they really wrestled. They did really push the Russian angle, and I, and having just I've just finished watching the Sheik. Um, hmm documentary which is a very good watch and it was obviously all about there's a bit in it where in essence he he's wrestling well and everything but someone says to him you need to you need a gimmick you need to make people like you so he really lays on like he's a sheik and all of this whatever, or shake whatever. um so i did a little look about russian wrestlers uh, this isn't the first wormhole i'll get myself into <laughs> in, in, during this thing and um it had it, there's an actual wikipedia page for in essence, pretend Russian wrestlers. Um, you've got like uh, Nikolai Kolov oh. and uh, but no Nikolai Volkov, sorry. Yeah. Boris Boris Malenko, which is Dean Malenko's dad from. Oh yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Apparently, all these people like pretended to be Russian at some stage in their career. Uh, Nikita Kolov, Ivan Kolov, Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he was on the list. Um, Boris Zukov, all that. Anyway, then I've come across Boris Alexev. Pass. Which know. apparently was the first character that Santino Moreno played when he before he joined WWE. Oh, oh, he really? played a Russian. Oh, he played like I was a Russian. Just like, What's going on? Didn't he play like a Russian? Uh, I don't know if you saw any more information on it, but I think I think it was like a Russian MMA fight or something, wasn't it? Like a Russian shoot fight or something. Yeah, I was just like, so it, I think in the end there was sort of like sort of ten to fifteen people that were sort of. I just find it really interesting that uh, you know you're an, you're an American wrestler, you go in and they're like, I don't know, they look at them and go, you look a bit always shave auto- your head, automatic heel, oh, basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. What what can we do? And, to I guess, make, yeah. and I guess you, would, you and I guess you would probably say, yeah, right, I'm up for that because you'd know straight away. Yep, you're gonna get heat, you're gonna get booked. Um, it's just there was just so many. I just thought it was really interesting, and you know, given I think I, I and you know what I think naively, I used to think there was just loads of Russian wrestlers. But <laughs> when I Wiki, there's two Wikipedia pages. There's one for wrestlers pretending to be Russian, and one for actual Russian wrestlers. And the one oh, okay. is much bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, just a massive detour there. But um, that's all right. It's all about detours. Uh, on the back of the on the back on the back of watching this, I I went on a few. So um, this match, basically, so there's there's a, there's a few you know few inter- you know a few things in here. So basically, Cornet called 
code off cue board ringside at one point and as a balding man i resented this really offensive term um because you know we can't do anything about it i can put all the regained foam in my hair but at, at some point it's going to be it's going to be going um so in terms of other stuff it took me a little while to notice but there wasn't a traditional hard camera here um, with the long range position diagonal and a lot of use of steady cams at ringside which was somewhat jarring um, Eaton was slammed to the ring post twice on the outside at the nine minute mark before taking a painful looking body slam right onto the floor to the delight of the crowd. I'm not sure what the ref was doing as they were outside for what felt like about a fortnight. And there's a big Cornette sucks chant as Eaton had Koloff down in the hammerlock. Cornette called Koloff an idiot and a goof as Koloff struggled in the hammerlock for such a long time. And there's just way too much stalling and rest holes in this one for my taste as Shivani on the outside announced the remaining minutes down from... Um, what well, you know, down from um, you know four, it seemed very annoyingly obvious where this one was likely going. That this was a twenty-minute time limit, or was it 15, uh, 15 minute 20, time? 20, 20, twenty minute 20. time. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I just, sorry, I just know that because I've got a note that says twenty minutes of my life I won't get back. Yeah, this was astonishingly, <laughs> astonishingly bad. Eaton again went for a hammerlock and held on and on and on. Koloff finally fought out with just over nine seconds to go, but was taken back down with, a back, with an arm break, and then you guessed it, the hammerlock. Shivani announced a minute to go, and Koloff didn't do much. At 45 seconds, he got to his feet, and they traded punches. At 30 seconds, Eaton begged off, and Koloff got on the corner and rained down punches. At 10 seconds, Koloff showed no urgency whatsoever before finally going for a pin after a clothesline with one second to go when the bell rang for a time limit draw. Post-match, Eaton attacked Koloff with a tennis racket and Sweet Stan Lane of the Midnight Express joining on the beatdown. This was diabolical. Just the absolute worst of the worst. And if there was a category in the Mid-South Moments match rating system that was one step lower than Skip, that still wouldn't be low enough for this. Awful. What did you think? How <laughs> brilliant. Um, okay, so Tony Giovanni called five minutes gone and I can honestly say nothing had happened. Yeah. Nothing. This was 17 they, or 18 minutes of press holds. They just stood and looked at each other and then a few holds. I mean, I guess, the, I mean, the fans were quite far from ringside for this event. I don't know if you know. I thought yeah, big, far. big space on the floor. Yeah. yeah. Except, except for there was some seating in front of the barriers, which had a mix of individuals. There was like one kid I saw that looked like he was doing his homework. And then there was another <laughs> bloke sitting on sitting on the floor like he hadn't had a wash for about three weeks i didn't really know what the credentials were to sneak into the front of the barriers that's probably um, a prerequisite for quite a lot of people i've sat next to um some events over the years yeah yeah um i mean but as a result of that i mean a couple of saving graces you could hear cornet which is quite good yeah you could hear yeah. him i guess um i mean the cornet sucks chant reminded me of for this match reminded me of when you're at a sporting event and particularly football where the Mexican wave starts and people go, and you'll have the commentators go, oh, look at a great atmosphere, but it's not the great atmosphere. People are bored. Do you, do you, have you ever been it. in an England crowd where, like, oh, yeah, where they've, stopped, where they've refused, refused to do it and it's just inc an incredible yeah. moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, there's no, I mean, there's places for a Mexican wave, but for me, like at a sport like football, for example, yeah. and wrestling where it's, where it's non-stop action, like there's no, there's no stoppages really, then you should be entertained by what you're it, seeing. It just cries out Wembley. Wait for, wait for the... Wembley yeah. friendly, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also thought it was quite funny, I don't know if you looked in the crowd, when Cornette was there, there was quite a lot of like people giving it like the, come on then, come on. Oh, outside. really? Yeah, come yeah, on, yeah, like, yeah. Come over here. Yeah. Which I thought like, reminded me very much of the opposite of uh, 
some football matches. You've got the Mexican wave crowd and you've got the other people that, yeah. that, that fancy <laughs> maybe a fight when they're bored. Uh, like you say, five minutes, he announces, still in the hold. Four, three, still going for the hold. And then just to clarify, when Kolov gets up from these holds, I just want to let everyone know, no effect. No. Yeah. Like, I'm always, so, you know, the reason they do these holds is to wear the person down. Nothing. Yeah. He didn't even look like that. It had any effect on the guy. Um, I mean, yeah, it seemed, that, uh, yeah, say no effect. I mean, the only thing that, I mean, I just thought, to be honest, time limit draw, as I said, 20 minutes of my life, I want to get back. Just long holds. I've mentioned on this podcast many times, I cannot stand these no. holds. I've gone on a couple um, of rants about these in the last couple of podcasts. One that hasn't been out actually yet. So I just can't, I just can't stand it. Like, we were talk- I talked to the podcast that's, that's going to be out a week ago by the time this is aired. Uh, but about like, <laughs> what's more disbelief smashing? Someone holding someone down and there being no no impact and no struggle for just minutes and minutes and minutes, or someone kicking out of a super kick or flips, or I just I just can't. To be fair, to be fair, a lot of eighties wrestling, a lot of the stuff on mid south, you might get the odd you know the odd rest hold or whatever, and people people view it differently now, and this is all you know. 2021 vision as it is now but this was the absolute pits this wasn't this wasn't athletic yeah. this wasn't wrestling i can't I, I, when, when, when it was these two i thought brilliant bobby Eaton in 1988 we've seen this guy in 84 and 85 or 84 great but this was just diabolical well you've literally led me into my next thing actually because later on in the in, in this show a gentleman called paul jones comes on who i didn't know so i've done a bit of research yeah. and paul jones had a an a wrestling observer award so I clicked the link and I'll explain what award he won later. Then I thought, I'll have a look at all the Wrestling Observer Awards. Just And going back to what we've just said about how what this match should have been, Bobby Eaton, right? These are the awards that this guy run around this time. Yeah. He won Most Underrated Wrestler, 85-86. He won um, Tag Team of the Year in 88. Yep. Feud of the Year for 88 as well. Was that him? Right. And, was that with the Rock and Roll Express? I presume. No. So the eighty-eight feud was with the Fantastics. Oh yeah, Fantastics. Yeah. And yeah. he and at this stage he's he's, he's teaming with is it uh, Stan? It's Lane? Stan Lane rather than because he comes out at the end, doesn't it? Yeah. So Stan, um, uh, yeah, Stan, Stan Lane. I think Stan. I, I I think Stan Lane took took over in the Midnight Express around eighty-seven. But I'll just look that up while you continue. But yeah, so so again, going back to exactly what you just said. I, I, I was I was sort of agitated with the match as it was, and then when I've sort of later on done this research, I'm like, this guy's got is obviously decent. Like to be, you know, it was a, great. A yeah, respect, yeah. He's got a very respective. Well, I know he's good in tag team, obviously. But what I'm saying yeah. is, like, for him to be going back to what I said earlier, I said at the start there that when you've got a tag team wrestler going off on their own, but actually he's one most underrated wrestler on his own. Yeah. So he obviously had a bit of, you know. Uh, credentials as an as a solo performer, he didn't show any of it. I think he went up to the top turn mark or maybe once or twice. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, at the end of the match, you've got a bit of Jim Cornette comedy with uh, sort of he gets uh, sort of stared at and like throws his racket in the air and and stuff like that. And then obviously it turns into then he has the tussle with what JR refers to as a little official. Um, I mean, I mean, I was looking at. Uh, Things with Cornet is again. I shouldn't have been surprised about the little bit of comedy and during it. I mean, I'm not saying he made this match because I completely agree with you. It's below skip, but going back to the Wrestling Observer around this time, he won best on interviews 
best manager in interviews, 1985 to 88. And he won best manager every year from 84 to 1990. Wow, that's great. And I read that on Rest Observer and I was like, yeah. And that's yes, that is 100 percent correct. Bobby Heenan's in his prime then as well. That's that's big big praise because yeah. uh, it shows how incredible Cornet so, was. Yeah. So you go back to this match and you go, you've got a, what, what's being dubbed as most underrated wrestler with the top manager. And to be honest, I do think Cornet is try, was trying to get things going. Yeah. But you can only work with what's in front of him, which well, yeah. is nothing. Exactly. And um, just to uh, cut back, Dennis Condry left Jim Cocker Promotions in early 87. So that's, yeah. So I was right. For, right, for so a rare occasion when I'm sort of half guessing about something, I got it right. So there we go. Fantastic. I actually had to record a, uh, a, a correction at the end of the last episode of Mid-South Moment. So um, that's uh, that's something to, for you to look forward to hearing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> Western States Heritage title is up next. Uh, more obviously not original music on the WWE Network for Larry Zabisco's entrance. Um, and some info on this title, courtesy of ringthedambell.wordpress.com, as it very much has a Mid-South slash UWF tie-in. So in 87, Jim Crockett Promotions was red hot and trying to keep up with Vince McMahon, um, had his ever-expand, and, and Vince's ever-expanding World Wrestling Federation. So Crockett did so by purchasing Bill Watts' Universal Wrestling Federation based in Oklahoma. Um, and just a year earlier, Watts attempted his own national expansion but fell short the, the, the story is due to a slow oil economy in the Midwest, but there's also some question marks around, um, you know, some, some, some of their big stars had, had moved on and, and perhaps, you know, the, the top end of the company was, it wasn't drawing. So there's, there's a few, you know, a few, few fundamentals to what happened, but Bill Watts sold the UWF to Crockett Promotions and the purchase would help Crockett expand his company to the Western portion of the United States. So the head booker for Jim Crockett was just Dusty Rhodes who opened an office in Dallas and, and Crockett initially had all the intentions of keeping UWF alive in a separate brand from Jim Crockett Promotions. Um, so basically to mark his stamp on the UWF purchase, D- Dusty and Crockett created a title um, called the, the NWA Western States Heritage Championship. And this was supposed to be a championship that was solely defended in the Western territories that Crockett bought. Um, it was tended to be a second, it was intended to be a secondary title to the UWF Heavyweight Championship. And on June the 20th, 87 in Houston, Texas, a joint NWA-UWF show. Um, a one-night tournament was held to crown the first ever NWA Western States Heritage Championship. What a catchy name, crikey. I think I botched that every time I said it. And wrestlers from both the UWF and NWA competed in the tournament. And the NWA's own Barry Windham defeated Black Bart in the tournament finals to be crowned the inaugural champion. But this title did not last very long. It was only around until the back end of 1988. Um, there you go. All, all you ever well want to know about the Western well done. States Heritage title. Um, so, yes, yeah. So, Larry Zabisco was accompanied by Baby Doll and was dressed in a nice black shiny track jacket with a Z on. Z? Grikey, I've, I've really turned American, haven't I? Talking about uh, American with a <laughs> Z on the it. chest. I've lost the plot. One gin and He's tonic and uh, a third of a Bud Light. And I've lost He's the gone. plot. The Z to Z. Um, Wyndham got a nice ovation from the New York crowd. <clears throat> Cordell said that Wyndham had his mind focused on one man and he wasn't going to be... God, I can't even say this. Cordell said that Wyndham had his mind focused on one man and he wasn't going to be satisfied until he nailed him. And that was Larry Zabisco. I mean, I, I didn't know whether... I thought I listened to like an innu- innuendo from a carry-on film with that. Uh, Baby Doll got in Wyndham's <laughs> face early and that lit up the New York crowd. Ross suggested he should poke her in the chest and see how she likes it. A line that doesn't really stand the test of time. What, what are we now... Um, 
Kaiki, 31, 33 years after this. Wow, I'm really old now. Um, Ross talks about Wyndham having been in action the previous evening on a nationally broadcast show. That was the 605. Um, you know, WCW Saturday night was what it became, but it was sort of NWA at the time, and how he had hurt his knee in that contest. Larry was frustrated at the 5.30 mark and shouted to the crowd that they thought he thought they all sucked. Again, an over-reliance on rest holds, and I just thought this match wasn't very dynamic. And they fought on the outside at 14 minutes, and after Wyndham slammed Larry's head into the ringside table, he ended up on the receiving end of a shove into the ring post. Poor Larry had his nether region slammed into the ring post as well, which delighted the New York crowd before Wyndham missed a terribly exaggerated attempt at a lariat and spilled to the outside. Um, Wyndham, Wyndham back dropped his way out of a power driver attempt at 17 minutes as I was struggling to reconcile while this had gone as long as 17 minutes. Eventually, the finish came in just over 19 minutes. They bumped the referee and then Zabisco nailed Wyndham with Babydoll's spiked high heel. And we have a new, uh, very, very prestigious Western Heritage champion. Um, obviously better than the first match. I mean, I think if anything they possibly could have put on would have been better than the first match. But still, this was in the skip category for me firmly. What did you think of this Zabisco and Wyndham encounter? Yeah, still in the skip. Um, I have two highlights, though. Um, but before I get to the two highlights, just a couple of things I just want to tee up here, or one thing in particular. When they go back to the commentary pre-match, a referee walks in front of JR and Bob as they're <laughs> talking. And at this stage, JR just looked and, and didn't do anything. And I just want to put that out there now, okay? And you'll, you'll understand later on. Um, I noticed that Barry Windham actually had his own entrance music, but you're sort of telling me maybe the musics were, music were wrong. Um, Possibly. I mean, I'm not sure if all of it was, but it was sounded gonna, dodgy, yeah. If anyone is going to have their own music, it has to be the Western States Heritage Champion. So <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? Um, I mean, yet again, the five-minute announcement uh, was called. Nothing had happened. Uh, yeah, more yeah. holds. Um, this time I got the holds a little bit because Wyndham had his knee strapped. So the holds were on his knee. So I got that a bit more. The, the, the reason why the, the holds were being used because you're working on a weakness. I, I, I sort of let that slide. Maybe I was just, again, desperate for it to be better than the last one. JR mentioned a couple of times that Wyndham was a seasoned veteran and then mentioned about how young he is. Make <laughs> me laugh. The guy was a seasoned veteran, this young, this young man, 25, 26. Really um, but anyway, my... Um, and I also noticed as well, when, uh, I don't know if you saw when uh, Wyndham, he come off the top rope and missed... Zabisco, um, and he landed, bang! Like normally, you know, like if you miss on the top rope, you sort of don't know. I don't know if you know it, so he come down. And I didn't actually know. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. It really stood out to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, but my two highlights <clears throat> were when they went to the outside. I, I actually made a note that the stuff on the outside was like church, village, village hall slash like church equipment so you had like, oh, okay yeah yeah like, like the tables weren't the tables we're seeing now they were like the tables like you might do like a you know put up for a fair you know like a little <laughs> village fair or yeah, a church yeah. fair the, they had the wooden steps up to the ring which looked very much like you know when you've got the church and you've got the wooden steps up to the church i'm saying church because i know that in america village hall isn't really a thing but I know, okay yeah i know churches as well from when the one time i went to texas that's what church looked like, very wooden. Um, and yeah, so what do you think? And then weirdly, I'm writing this down about a church. And then when um, Zabisco um, got 
clobbered in these nether regions. JR said, Zabisco's moved to the tenor row of the church choir with that move, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant, but not as good as someone from the crowd. The crowd had lost it. This is the first time, just clarify, the crowd looked like they were, uh, they were enjoying it, and it's because of this move. They, the crowd had shown no, up till from the start, up till this point, can I just say, the crowd had done nothing, really. Cornet sucks, but it's all been very relaxed. When this move hit, they were laughing and started out, don't look good for you, baby doll. <laughs> which i thought was absolutely brilliant that like, and then so that was that was a highlight and then the other one was i did really like the end um i really liked so he takes the the shoe from baby doll and he clobbers him with the heel and then normally they chuck the offended item he just as he was pinning it pinning him he just sort of tucked it under his like, under his bum yeah yeah and pinned him and then sort of suddenly gave it back. I just quite liked that, like, he kept hold of it. Um, I just thought it was really good. And it was actually very slick. Um, like, the ref wouldn't have seen that. Um, so they were my two highlights. But, yeah, um, I did appreciate whoever, whoever the gentleman was, was shouted, don't look good for you, baby doll, was, uh, was, was quite amusing. <laughs> very, very, very British humour, should I say. Jim, Jim Ross had a funny line just at the end of this. Uh, he said, this is so terrible, which I agreed with. But then he added, he meant for an athlete to lose a title in this way. Um, so, yeah, good good stuff from uh, from Jim from Jim Ross uh, there in terms of conveying to us, you know, what he actually really meant by here rather than, um, you know, rather than uh, the actual title change. Um, so there's lots of replays before they finally moved on, um, which bizarrely skipped straight forward into Ric Flair's title defence against Road Warrior Hawk. Um, and there was a note at the bottom of the screen that was it was presented in the most complete form possible due to original production technical difficulties, which I find hard to believe, given this is a pay-per-view broadcast. But regardless, this is what happened. I think possibly... Um, they just took this straight from the because I know, I know that the NWA used to tend to use to try and squeeze their events to two hours on video on VHS because it was cheaper to do two hour VHS rather than three. Um, but yeah, this was this was weird that this wasn't part just part of the archives. But anyway, here we go: the NWA World Title match with Ric Flair at five recognised reigns and um, the title at that point, um, and up to ten overall with some that were not acknowledged by the NWA. Um, and Ross talks about Flair holding the title in the modern age of huge wrestlers and Paul Ellering looked on from the outside, um, looked on the outside with JJ Dillon in Flair's corner. Hawk hit a big and very impressive pair of press slams in the first few minutes as Flair sold masterfully. Um, there were big Steve Austin style boots in the corner by Hawk as the crowd cheered him on. Um, Hawk completely no sold a Flair comeback with, with what, which was somewhat grating and just, and basically, um, the crowd were reacting to Hawk's offense, but I didn't get the feeling that there was an electric drama where the crowd thought a title change could happen. Um, so uh, basically, eventually, um, Flair got back into this. Um, and after all the usual Ric Flair work on Hawk's leg, he went for a figure, figure four in just under 14 minutes. And the crowd livened up a bit for the jeopardy that Hawk was in. Ross said that he would use everything that wasn't nailed down, including the kitchen sink, to walk out there, still the world champion. Hawk eventually turned the figure four over at 15.30 before Flair reached the ropes to break up the move. Hawk was held into the corner, came back to the clothesline and absolutely inexplicably closed on the referee who was behind Flair as well. Um, and this just looked completely ridiculous. Hawk clotheslined Flair over the top rope and then slammed Flair's head into the steel ring post a couple of times for good measure. And shockingly, just to make a change, Flair came up bleeding as the ref couldn't get up. 
Hawk got the visionary pin after a superplex, but still no referee. JJ got in there with a weak as anything looking chair shot across the back of a Hawk, which he no sold at the 20 minute mark. He fought Dylan out of there. Flair then hit Hawk with a protected chair shot to the head, which Hawk thankfully got his hands up for. Hawk kicked out a two when the, as the ref finally came back alive. Um, there was a great delayed vertical suplex from Flair, which Hawk no sold again. Crowd got more into it and Hawk smashed punch into a bloody Flair in the corner. JJ was looking wide on the outside. Flair then at the 21 and a half minute mark hit Hawk over the back of the head. So over the back, right in front of the referee for the DQ. Really just unbelievable that this was the finish on pay-per-view. Um, I must have, I didn't like a lot of the Hawk no selling and I, and I didn't like a lot of this matches there, a lot of this match there were a few moments that were okay and I wondered whether I was being harsh while I was watching just I wasn't really enjoying it but then the finish made me realize that it actually was just a turd and um, I'm going to skip again for this this overly long match with just a brutally bad finish what did you think of this Hawk versus uh, Ric Flair world title match um, I'll get to my rating I mean yet again it's another again a, a tag team individual tag team member fighting as an individual, so I didn't expect, expect much. However, I mean, yeah, I did notice a nose. I didn't mind it, so that rated, I, I put it, I, I went through it was all right. And I guess, I'm trying to think why I did that really. Um, it's a bit, I, I think I enjoyed it, but again, maybe in isolation, I might not have, um, but because maybe it's a, a culmination of watching the previous two. Um, I, I didn't know much. I knew, I knew a bit about JJ, did I? I didn't know much about Precious Paul. Um, but having looked at his Wikipedia, I do now know that he, uh, in 2000, he went to Alaska to be a sled dog racer. <laughs> and wow. uh, he ended up being the 54th best sled dog racer in the world. So, a little fact for you. Um, you, you mentioned about uh, Hawk not selling. Flair's overselling is something that I never liked. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. So, like, you know, he's on the floor screaming. And then when he does that, you know, when he gets hit and about three seconds later, he, he jumps down onto the floor. We had all of that in there. I mean, I must admit, there's one point. The ref the ref announced that there was all ref. Tony Giovanni announced there's 55 minutes left. And at that moment, Hawk picked up um, Flair for the bear hug. And I was yep. just thinking, no, oh, my gosh, no. We're going to have 55 <laughs> minutes of this. Um, it was literally like clockwork, like the same format that all the others taken the minute five minutes has gone start the holds um then then flair then low blowed in front of the ref yeah oh yeah i I didn't i didn't notice that yeah and that annoyed me a little bit um whether we're meant to think because then he does it later on behind the rest back but also you're like well because when i saw that i assumed he wasn't going to get disqualified later on so i was like well you've let that go maybe this is one that you sort of are going to leave so that that was annoying. Um, a few, I've got a few sort of things. I'll, I'll just concentrate on the match for a second. Um, obviously, you got as soon as Hawk, Hawk missed with like a diving punch and landed on his knee. And as soon as he held his knee, you knew the figure four leg, leg lock was a yeah. matter of time. Yeah. Um, that is one of the figure four. I've got it is one of the sort of submissions that I think probably would hurt. Yeah, it does. Um, I, think, I think we've I had a mess around with that in uh, my young yeah. years. Does yeah, and I think reversing it really hurts, doesn't it? I, I think. Uh, always... Not apart and passing on that, I'm not 100 okay. sure, but yeah. Um, but you know, I do understand it. Particularly, got um, So yeah, so and then 
you mentioned about Flair being cut again. I mean, he is, I'll be honest, you know, I like to see when they blade it, blade. He is the blade. He's a blade expert. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He is the king of it. Um, then they kept mentioning at the end of the match, they were going to show JJ's chair shot in slow motion. Didn't need to. Yeah, no. It's the no. slowest chair shot you've ever seen. I mean, I don't Whatever. mind that in the sense that it's safe, but I know what you mean. It's a bit, bit, uh, you know. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, I did notice one bit that Hawk was laid out and at one stage, and that Ellery was getting the ref back up to go in the ring. I was a bit like, what are you doing? Yeah, why is he doing that again? Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? Yeah. I, I'm really baffled by that. Um, yeah, but um, just, I was out walking my dog watching this, and I'd finally actually got into the match. And when he got disqualified, I said, chair, I nearly just just thought, that's it, I've had enough. Yeah, because there were the odd moment, wasn't there? There was the odd moment where yeah. it picked I'd up. I'd actually got into like, it a little bit, yeah, and I yeah. just went to chuck. I, I it was so close to chucking my phone. Um I couldn't believe it. I just, it's, it's one of my, I don't see one of these things, but the DQ and belt not changing. I understand why that rule's there. But I always think if you're the belt holder and you commit the DQ, you should lose your belt. My, my view is that rule's in place to stop outside interference or people, you know, I want you to lose the belt. So I'll come out and hit yeah. your opponent. So you lose it. But if you're the one that commits the offence, shall we say, you know what you're doing. In my opinion, you lose the belt because you did it. Yeah, I agree. I that, that So you can lose a title in Japan on, D, on a DQ. I think the DQ rule is only an American thing. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's just a storyline device for weak booking. Um, I, I've got some additional points in this, but I'll, let you, I'll get you sort of finished so, yeah, um, before I ca- like, carry on. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, that was happening. So that was- Obviously, I'm interested in your thoughts on that, but at the end of the match, um, they just sort of like the match ended, and it's like Shivani just like announced the winner the t- and the time. It sounded like if you go like horse horse racing or greyhound racing, and like there's been a big like furore, and then it ends, you hear like, and the winner was number one, and three <laughs> minutes 24. And then, it, and then you could just see it all just went silent, waiting for yeah. the next race. Um, the only other thing I was just going to mention was, um, there was a fan during this match that was holding up a picture of Ric Flair that he'd cut out of a magazine. Okay, yeah. And I just thought, so he's, before he's gone, he's gone, oh, because signs weren't really a big thing. There were some signs there. Not, yeah, but not like the late, like so mid, late 90s, yeah. He's a, grow, he's a grown man and he's cut out a page of a magazine with a picture of Ric Flair just holding it up. I mean, what? What's he just showing Ric Flair? Look, that's that's you. I like you. But it did make me think if you've ever cut out something from a magazine for a reason. So I'll give you an example. When I was younger, I used I would cut out. There was a specific footballer I would cut out from Match Magazine or whatever and take to the hairdressers to say I wanted my hair cut like him. <laughs> now, just to clarify on this, I. I quite often sort of, when I originally grew my hair at the same time Beckham grew his, when I bleached yeah. blonde my hair, it was for a football tournament, but at the same time Beckham done it. But these are all things in my control. When I went to the hairdressers with a cutout, right, it was of Gary Speed. Okay. Right? Now, for those of yeah. you who don't know Gary Speed, Gary Speed just has just short black hair. Yeah, There's yeah. nothing, there is, there is no need for a photo of... Literally, Gary Speed probably goes in and just goes, "Can you cut this shorter?" 
Well, he doesn't anymore, bless his soul. He's, he's yeah. unfortunately passed away. But I took a picture of Gary Speed to the hairdressers. I wouldn't um, have bet in a million. I would have said Beckham all day long for that. But, I yeah, know, I, but, yeah. but again, like, I don't know why. Like, so and, and, I, and I know that yeah. would have been at a time when I would have been maybe thinking, like, trying to be a bit fashionable, as I sit here now with an Alice band in my head. But, like, Gary Speed. But again, just to caveat, I was a child and this was a grown man taking a picture of, I think, Rick Flair to the thing, but like he cut out of a magazine. See, Gary um, Speed did have, Gary yeah. Speed did have long, very long curly curtains in the probably very early 90s. No, this would be late 90s. Okay. Just that short brown hair. Yeah, so, so we're probably talking about his maybe like Newcastle, Newcastle time? Uh, late Leeds it will be. Ah, so I think he might have had longer hair than you think at that. that well, point. I did used to have curtains. Yeah, see, I think it might have been like a like a curtain, I think. Yeah. I think it was... Do you know what it was? I think I had curtains when Gary Speed had them. When he chopped them, I was like, that's it. Do you know that's what? I, yeah, I had my passport uh, photo taken in 90... So the, the passport I had with me for the first WrestleMania I went to was me, because it was, I think it was, there were five-year passports when you were around that age back then. So it had me with curtains when I was 15 on that passport. And I looked absolutely ridiculous. And I got my passport photo taken the day before I got rid of him, like maybe 96. He was a good, look, good looking boy, old uh, Speed, wasn't he? A very sad story that was, but. Yeah, but anyway, know. just, have, have you ever cut a, sort of something out of a magazine and said to someone, I want to look like this man? <laughs> no, I can't say that. But I did, I did bleep, I did do the Paul Gascoigne Euro '96. I suppose were you a bit young for Euro '96? I was nine. So you, can you remember that? Oh yeah, vividly. yeah, yeah, but we, good, yeah, but we, we bleached our hair <clears> a, a lot late. So I used to obviously play football. So I would go. We'd go for a football tournament in the summer, and one time we were like, "We'll make a standout bleach blonde hair." Um, I mean, it does make you stand out, but maybe not for like the reasons. Now, the whole team did it, did they? Yeah, fortunately, yeah, we won the tournament. Yeah, including beating some sort of um, youth teams from professional clubs. Oh, okay, that's so really we held good, out. Yeah. We held out our own, but thank God we did because we would have looked like right wallies if we because we lost the first game. I always remember and a few comments, <laughs> few comments like this is going to be a long few days for you guys if you're going to keep losing and dress like that. But, yeah, it paid off in the end. Because Romania did that at the 98 World yes. Cup, didn't they? In the middle of the tournament, they lost straight afterwards, didn't they, I yes. believe? Yeah, so yeah, that's the famous one. Going back to this match, um, my view is, if you haven't got a way to get out of a match that isn't better than that, then just don't put it on. If Hawk isn't winning the title and you don't want him to lose, even with a bit of interference or some kind of cheap heelish way, which wouldn't have been that much better, but would have been somewhat better, just don't put it on. Don't make people pay for something and then cheat them out of a finish or pay-per-view. It's unforgivable in any promotion, in any time frame to put a finish like this. <coughs> you've got, the, the thing with wrestling is, you've got, we're, we're, we're talking um, a few days, we're, we're recording this on what, the 25th, and we've, we've just uh, come off the weekend when McGregor lost. You know, you in wrestling, you never have to have your McGregor, you never have to have your top draw, McGregor, lose. You never have to do it. You've got, you've got weeks and weeks and months and months to plan all this stuff out. <clears throat> Don't cheat your paying customers. I'm also, I also get get on off one soapbox onto another one. And this one's always bugged me. I'm just not a believer in heels having to cheat to win either. 
One of the best, one of the greatest heels ever in any form of sports was Floyd Mayweather. And he was a heel because he beat everyone. He was an arrogant arsehole doing it. And he was great. And everyone, you, I bet you you stayed up to watch Ricky Hatton against yeah. him, didn't you? hundred percent. I did. Every, that did a million buys in the UK at five in the morning. Everyone stayed up for that. That I think I had 10 mates around my parents' house. Everyone wanted to beat him, and he and he, and he did. You know, he he's got more pay per view buys than anybody in history. Miles more than Tyson for his big fights, and that's the thing. Because and, and and he won. So you, that a heel yeah. doesn't have to lose. And if the babyface isn't ready to beat him, don't have the match. And if they're ready but you don't want them to win, don't do the match. Just don't do it. Don't do the match. So yeah. Anyway, so have you got anything to add before I um I move no, on? Agrees. Yeah, people have. We, we, we see them endings all the time, you know, mid-south endings quite often. You'll have, you'll have endings like that. You know, we've had shows where we've had, you know, two or three matches in a row with, with non-finishes. But to me, the minute, the minute someone's uh, parting with money, they want to be entertained. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't matter. Probably, do you know what as well? People don't care about the answer, the result, sorry. Paul could want it. Do you know what? It would have been talked about. Massive thing. Then you'd have had a few weeks of just some great. You could you could give him the belt back the week after. Don't matter. That would have got it talked about. Yeah, I would be anti that. And he, win, and he wins by doing, you know, Flair wins by I don't know. It just there needs to be an outcome. You're right. I mean, it's just you know we're we're, we're three matches in here. We've had a time limit draw and a disqualification. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, um, and, and, a, and a cheap finish. You know, and, and, and the one in well. between, the one in between was yeah, yeah. So, you know, I would feel pretty short change. Imagine buying this on pay per view. I mean, crikey, and, what? Yeah, just awful. And also, you've got you've got you've got Flair in this match. Which going back to what I was saying earlier about Bobby Eaton. I mean, Flair this time he'd won Reader's favorite. He won Reader's favorite. Wrestling Observer's Reader's favorite from 1984 every year up till 1993. So you've got a massive. You know, the reader, like, people like watching this guy, right? Hardest worker from 84 to 88. He had the, he, he, that year he actually had match of the year with, um, oh, the dog's uh, That's all right, welcome. Um, he had match of the year with, <laughs> he had match of the year with Sting that year, um, later on in that year I saw. Um, people want to see this guy, and he isn't winning these, you know, hardest worker, favourite, favourite person, etc. From finishes like that, that's no. not why he's winning it. No, he's winning I agree. It from either being a really good wrestler, or you know, I know they say what is he, the dirtiest player in the game and stuff, right? I get that. That's fine, dirtiest player in the game. But that means subtle little things that you do. Dirtiest player in the game does not mean a blatant chair shot. It means the low <laughs> blows I discussed earlier on. I didn't. I the, the the major. I know that Animal and Hawk didn't didn't sell a lot in a lot of these matches, but I had a big problem with. You know, Hawk, he's a big guy, but he's, and I know they drew, and, and you can't, I don't want to, don't, he was just a, just a tag team, because he wasn't just a tag team wrestler. They, they, the Road Warriors. Oh, no, I don't, yeah, then, I'm not belittling. You know, yeah, right, they, were, they were legitimate, legitimate draws, wrestler, these yeah. guys. Yeah, legitimate draws. It was just but, more just making a point from what, you know. Oh, no, yeah. I agree. I think we're, we're yeah. on the same page. I'm, I'm saying you can't have that, mm-hmm. that guy not selling for your world champion. That is, that's, you just, you just can't, you can't have that, basically. So, yeah. Um, so after endless, endless replays, we get a wide shot of the cage 
being put up for the main event, which Ross speculates they'll, he's sure they'll have it up in record-breaking time. So Ross and Cotter will talk about how much relief Flair must be must have after retaining the title after such a physical battle. And they move on to the Bunkhouse Stampede match finals with Dusty Rhodes having previously won that honour twice. Then inexplicably, we get a roll of credits right in the middle of the pay-per-view with Ross saying it's time to thank their crew. Um, yes, I get they had time to fill um, while the cage was going up, but how about filling this time with some pre-taped interviews from those in the main event? Expensive pay-per-view time was being taken up running through this tribe. Um, what did you then, and then explain what happens just after this, Dan? Because it's one of the you 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 sent something. I've just tweeted it actually. So, um, what did you make of this uh, of this um, this credits and the aftermath of this? <laughs> so. I'll tell you what, the aftermath that you're referring to happens after the end of this show. Oh, oh, I know. I think it's after. It's, it's this bit here no. when they put the cage up. No, 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 no. It's after. Are you sure? Because I've just yeah. li- I've just literally just watched it. It's at the end. Have a little check while I talk about it. This is, I put this down as this is the ultimate filler. Yeah. Right? I have never seen anything like this. So it it's already a bit silent. Then it cuts to them. And yeah, like you say, JR emphasizes twice record setting time um now a man in a blue hat walks past right? yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah yeah yeah, yeah but he doesn't do anything on this occasion oh, I, think, I think this is the one does he walk back and get a second time then yes <laughs> so for people we'll get to this bit coming up but i mentioned earlier on about the ref cutting cutting across the screen yeah JR didn't bat an eyelid man in a blue hat walk past this time jr jr i don't sure if he quite clocked it okay we'll come back to that um bob then starts to explain the stampede right he starts to explain what it's about which i was like oh, this is quite interesting because you know it's not something i've come across a lot then jr begins to talk about <laughs> he does it he, danny does it twice he does it twice yeah, he does exactly the same thing twice yeah the guy in the blue hat does yeah yeah the, the, the guy in the blue hat the first yeah yeah, he just cuts across the the commentators. Like, yeah, he has standing in front of the camera. Yeah, do you um, know what? He all, Jr. does almost the same thing on the first one as he does the second one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he so he he uh, they one side. What are they talking about? We'll come to it. Don't worry. Um, so Jr. begins to talk about the eight men, and then and then he pauses, and I can only assume that's something in his ear to say we're going to show the credits. And I wonder if this is the people in production or it may be. Right, we've got time to kill here. And they didn't sort of trust JR and Bob to feel it. I don't know. I don't so they know. lined up viewing the credits and stuff. Because what I have to say, JR starts to talk about the eight men and then pauses and then goes, they're going to show... Well, actually, I, I remember right here that they said, oh, let's, let's show who's responsible for today's event. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be some sort of montage where Joel Watts around the actual people, but it was literally the credits. Yeah. It, it reminded me of um, someone at work talking through a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. So it was just like executive producer. It says so. And like, you can tell they didn't know it was coming because there was, because there were some names that he couldn't pronounce. Um, they're just talking through the slides and then and then it goes back to them and they start talking about the the stampede again 
And again, they pause and it goes to slow-mo highlights, which aren't slow-mo. I don't know why they kept emphasising the slow-mo. And one thing I did notice here is JR did look, when they went to the slow-mo, like the highlights, he looked a bit baffled. Yeah. And I think he was thinking, I can kill this time. Um, you know, we don't need to do this. Um, and actually, interestingly, I went and looked at me Wrestling Observer thing. At this time, in, in 1988, JR was was his first year at winning Best TV Announcer, which he held from 88 to 93. I just, I just watched it again. I can't, I'm sorry. I just watched it again. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I, you sent me this clip. Of, I'm going to tweet the second one out as well. You sent me this clip of JR, and I was like, I've got to tweet this out because it's so, it's so, so good. So I've just filmed it on my monitor. And he does exactly the same look it's again amazing. at the end of the end. It's incredible. Sorry, carry on, Dan. Carry on. So he, I say, he looks baffled. Like, but I look at him. Ninety-eight, ninety-nine. He was TV and other. Or interestingly, eighty-six to eighty-eight. David Crockett was voted the worst TV announcer. Oh, okay. And yeah. I, I wonder, had they prepped the credits and all these different things just in case David Crockett was commentating, and they thought this guy ain't gonna be able to fill the time, so they show no. the credits and things. It just, it just, I'll tell you, it just, JR just looked baffled by like why. Because then when it went back to him after the replay, he then actually, I'll tell you what, he says this. This is another thing. He says, he goes, right, um, now, uh, now we're going to talk about the wrestlers in the event, which I did start earlier. Like he makes, I, yeah. he makes a point. I, I did go to do this earlier on, but we've had, like he just said, yeah, I'll start. You, you know what Jim, Jim Ross is like. He, he, um, he, he can't, he can't not say when something he thinks something's rubbish and i, and I yeah. genuinely think this was a company that had produced very few pay-per-views at this time and, I, and i've read i've heard stories about wf stuff from around this time where they would miss their time cues and they would you know they would have to shorten matches because they just weren't it's not like now when like raw and AEW and stuff and AEW have produced AEW have probably produced more live television in their first what 18 18 to 24 months of their existence um, than WWF in terms of a national did for, you know, post Vince McMahon. They had things on like the MSG network and stuff, but that, you're not, that's not the same thing when you're, when you're basically filming a house show and you're in and out, it's very different on a subscription yeah. channel versus a pay-per-view. So these guys were just, were just not any good at this. They were just unprofessional and it was a bad, yeah, and, bad production. But maybe as I say, cause he won that best sort of announcer that year. Maybe this yeah. is still these, like, I mean, we knew his, Good before this year, but you know this is you know a bit more of a national stage. Um, but he, you know they mentioned that Dusty's won the last two, um, which made sense to me about why I've recently watched one of these bunkhouse things in AEW because Dustin sort of alludes to the fact that it's his, it's his dad's match. Yeah. Um, that they mentioned some of them love weapons, which they didn't. No one, no one did. Um, then then they said animals won more than anyone, which they, they sort of specifies in December. Yeah, so the qualifier. I don't know why. Yeah. If, you, if you're qualified, again, why do you got to do it again? But again, but again, I've got here. Assume you have to qualify. Uh, they mentioned Dusty was a wild card, but what I'm trying to say is they could have covered that. Yeah. yeah. In this, in this, what I worked out was seven minutes. Wow. Filler, seven right? minutes of pay per view. Dead minutes. air on pay per view. Seven minutes of like, why am I looking at the credits halfway through? Um. So you know, that's you know, this is the sort of stuff I mean. Like, Jr. No wonder, no wonder he's getting slightly agitated. Which, as, as Steve's already alluded to, I will summarise uh, at the end. At the end of maybe my one of my favourite bits. But just to clarify as well on this filler bit, 
I was happy I didn't throw my phone away previously because why this was all happening, by the way, I'm, I'm laughing about how cringeworthy it is. Yeah, I would yeah. probably say watch it just to see how awkward it is. I mean, I'm not sure I can recommend anyone to watch any of this show, but this was just beyond, beyond belief. So Ross explains that to be eliminated from the bunkhouse match, you have to be thrown over the top of the cage or through the cage door. Ross stalled here as clearly the record-breaking cage assembly attempt was going badly. Um, so we got a, yet another recap. Um, went to a slow motion footage of Wyndham and Zabisco. Um, we got a recap of the whole thing. They then started talking about the main event. Is this the is this the bit where the first blue cap guy went through? I think in, the, in this in this section, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. walks through at this stage, and I, yeah. I, and I, I just I don't sure if he clocked him, but he just had me there. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, we, we, so but yeah, basically this if you, basically Ross is put off by a guy in a blue cap walking through the shot and does a shot does like a. Breaking the fourth wall, look right in the lens of the camera as if to say, like, what the F is this guy's Yeah, like, guy yeah, looking at the camera like, yeah. what, what's going on? And like, what, what, what is this? Do you know what he looks like? He look, he's looking at the camera at this stage. This is very more like, this is this is amateur out. What's going on? Yeah, what is going on? Why but, is there someone but, stopping this? But yeah. in my opinion, he's still, he's maintaining that level of professionalism. <laughs> I'm say, yeah, wait till the end stage. of the main event. Uh, they then start talking about the main event again. Uh, main event again. Dusty Rhodes won the last two, and he won the night. He won the right to have the final slot in the Omni against four other men. And Ross says the odds says the odds may be against him this year. He came in through the back door with the wild card. And um, Coddle says this is the most dangerous type of competition you can have. You can't watch your front and sides and back at the same time. Plus, there's a long way to go down if you fall off the cage. Plus, some people will have weapons. Um, I presumed at this point, obviously, they're you know they're they're make they're trying to get the record, um, the cage setup team for the the slowest ever assembly of a cage in the history of professional wrestling. And um, Ross said the prize was half a million dollars for winning the match. And here we go, it's time for the main event. So Dusty Rhodes was out first, followed by one half the NWA World Tag Team Champions Tully Blanchard. Ivan Koloff was next. Then the Boar Lord, who looked ridiculously big. Um, so I guess there was some good protein shakes in Jim Crockett as well as Titan Sports at the time. Then Arn Anderson, then the total package Lex Luger, then the Barbarian, who, who along with Koloff and the Boar Lord were part of Paul Jones's army. Then lastly, Road Warrior Animal. All were wearing street clothes, with the exception of Luger, who wore long black less in tights and was topless. Um, any thoughts on any of these outfits here before we go on to the... Yeah, well, I thought they all had to be sort of dressed up like like Dusty Rose, really. I thought he was setting the mm. standard here. But, say, Luger comes in like a wrestler. Um, there was a few strange little get-ups. Um, yeah. Still reminded me of, like, they'd all just sort of... Like, like you know, like when we were, like, maybe on a Sunday, just sort of, like, relax and just put on, like, what you can find. Like, I don't know. It just felt a bit like that. Like I thought Blanchard looked like he was going to a barbecue. Basically, he had, like, a bright green T-shirt on and jeans. Like a, just yeah. like a normal dad. He's just, like, going to a barbecue on a Sunday, even though yeah, he had some Ander knee pads. Arn Anderson's was more like a crop top. He had a crop top? With his bloody yeah. guts sticking out. But I'm not sure yeah. that was a fit. Why was that a thing in the 80s? Uh, and du Dusty Rhodes' yellow vest, his nipples kept sneaking out of it, which was a little bit disturbing as well. Um, I checked the timer um, on the on the remainder of the show and realised there was half an hour left and I honestly could have cried. Um, <laughs> Earl Hebner, interestingly, appeared at cage side just 12 days before the infamous evil twin referee angle in the WF. I kind of wish I'd picked that show, actually, in retrospect, to review in um, February. Maybe February 2022, yeah. we'll look at that one. Um, 
Coddle said on commentary that brutal is the only way you could describe the bunkhouse stampede. And I would thoroughly agree with him as this was absolutely brutal. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this match um, because I didn't like it. To go through the eliminations here, Animal eliminated first Koloff off the top of the cage and then the Boar Lord through the cage door, but was eliminated himself by the Barbarian after a big boot. Blanchard and Anderson double team Luger and tried to eliminate him through the door, but all three men were eliminated at the same time. Rhodes and Barbarian were the remaining participants who continued to fight each other. Barbarian hit Rhodes with a diving headbutt, but was unable to eliminate him. Both men climbed over the top of the cage where Rhodes hit Barbarian with two bionic elbows uh, to win the bunkhouse stampede for the fourth consecutive time in, ex in an excruciatingly boring near 30 minutes, which was a shocking result because he was the booker at the time. This was just a lot of walking around, grinding people's faces against the cage, blood, obviously, teasing spots on top of the cage and very little action, which produced any excitement whatsoever. And this was the very definition of match you should skip. Um, so, Dan, what did you think of this uh, main event? And I use that in inverted commas. Wow. I mean, I've done exactly the same. I've even got a note here to say 30 minutes left. Um, mm. And it was more like, I was like, when I get to the end of this, I might have to drink and so reward myself. <laughs> um, I mean, a couple of things for me. I didn't know who Paul Jones was. I have a friend called Paul Jones. I know my whole life. So it's one of the okay. things that, that that was half amusing me. Mm. Um, uh, when And that is actually how I say I got into my sort of wrestling observer world, Mal, because one, on Paul Jones' Wikipedia, under accolades, it says he was the 1986 worst manager of all. Time. <laughs> so that's on his Wikipedia as an accolade. Um, oh, do you know who finished that? I want to try and look up who finished second in that. It's ca carry on. Um, and actually, uh, other awards people in this match. Um, Tully Blanchard, who, can I just say, during this match was like the whipping boy. Just literally just getting beaten up like no man's business. Um, he was in that year, he was the worst feud of 88 versus the Midnight Rider. Who was that? Um, sorry. Tony Blanchard, he had the worst Oh, the, okay. Feud Midnight yeah. Rider was Dusty Rose yeah. under a mask. Ah, well, that's interesting. I'll come to that in a second. Um, just a little side on the worst feud. Um, Kane has won worst feud individually seven times and twice when he's been in a faction. He's got nine worst feud awards, Kane has. Wow. Because, uh, wow. Um, going back to awards, and you mentioned that uh, Midnight Rider is Dusty in a mask. He can add that to his accolades from that year. He won most obnoxious in 1988-89. He won least favourite, reader's least favourite wrestler, 87 and 88. And he won most overrated wrestler, 87 and wow. 88. Um, literally clearing up. Um, and finally, actually, this, in, in uh, Animal, won strongest wrestler, 85-86. Either side of him, 84, Butch Reed. Okay. And the other side, 87 to 1990, Dr. Death. Nice. Okay, he good. Was, he was, he's round voice. between them two. Yeah. So, you know, I was having a load of fun on that. And annoyingly, when I finished looking at that, the match was still going. Oh, yeah, so close. Um, so, I mean, there was a massive emphasis in the match on the prize money. And yes. to the point where you just had to start off with eight men Eight sort of, in essence as well, a lot of them larger sort of older men 
in a cage. It reminds oh. me of sort of like you see them like bum fights on like YouTube where you get sort of, you know, people get like yeah, homeless yeah, people yeah. whatever and yeah. say, here's £10 fight each other. Because they kept stressing about this $500,000, which I think I had a look on the converts about a million pounds now. So don't get me wrong, it's a big pound everything. But because they stressed it, it looked like we're making these, we've, we've thrown these eight men in a cage and we're making them fight each other. <laughs> You know, to get a million pound, it, like, it sort YouTube of started to have, yeah. it started to have that feel about it. And also, I just don't really like wrestling matches when the pro- uh, the prize is money. Um, it, it, you wrestle, you want to win, so then you've got you know the belt. You you, you want to get, you want the pride. You're getting your money and your salary. You know, you might get money for winning the match, you know, a bonus, but you shouldn't be fighting to win money if that makes sense yeah um, yeah and it, um it i don't know i, I guess i guess and also the... i find it just strange as well because at the end of the day you know you know that money's never changing hands so stop going on about it well i, no, I guess no, the, no, I guess... right i'm gonna put myself right lads um half a million up for grabs i'm winning i guess um, the idea though is if you're I, I don't know they don't talk about this too much but they do talk about it a bit but like the the um the kind of winner's purse and that sort of stuff. So I know you yeah, mean Yeah, I get that. That's like a money, bonus. But... Yeah. But anyway. Um, I've know. got some interesting wormhole stuff about these Observer Awards okay. now that I'm in it. So I'll, I'll come back to you when you're, when you're okay. finished. So there's t- t- um, three really interesting things. So there wasn't much wrestling. I mean, Lex Luger looked fairly impressive. He actually he actually remained the majority in the ring. And he was actually trying to wrestle. Okay, yeah. Well, and I felt it was a bit lost. Yeah. Um, I mean, you had Barbarian twice. One bit, he's just biting Warlord's head. There's another bit later on, he was just biting Dusty Rhodes' shoulder. And Dusty Rhodes was just letting him. Yeah. I was like, yeah. what are you doing? This is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, also, like, you're, that's not really selling it, is it? Like, the guy's biting you. It's him. You're just watching him. <laughs> I was, I was really frustrating me. I mean, um, the crowd woke up a little bit when Dusty took his belt off and started hitting people. But again, lots of standing around. I mean, I started to think... You know, given we say mid-south, the matches are sort of say five minutes, you know, and if we're still around them that sort of time, you know, all these matches were long matches. Is it because, you know, these wrestlers they've got used to the five minute matches, so they don't know what to do for longer than ten minutes. So uh, they just do the holes and they just do yeah. the standing around. Maybe I'm trying to give them an excuse, I don't know. Um But I, 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 I we, we watched um Magnum and Ted DiBiase is a good example. Was it Magnum and Ted DiBiase? Yeah, I think it was. I really like that from Houston, um, and they, they had a few, yeah, they had a few oh, yeah, yeah. stuff. But that was a, that was sixteen or seventeen minutes. But that's yeah. the thing, Dan. You do, it doesn't have to be hard. This didn't have to be no. half an hour. This is. I mean, this it took is, sixteen minutes for the first bloke to go out. Yeah, I mean, but this is overbooked. This is this is why we why occasionally I'll be like Naito and Evil from Dominion last year. It was thirty-seven minutes. It was. It was all I knew swap then. And this is this is not a PG show, but I try and keep it PG as much as possible. <laughs> um, but that it doesn't it, all, all that is is you're just you're just being you're you're being arrogant in like we can feel 30 minutes of this that people enjoy. No, if this was a 15-minute blood, no, not necessarily bloodbuffs, I'm not it's not all about that, but if this was 15 minute all action, it'd be miles, miles better. But yeah, no, oh, we've got to do 30 minutes. You haven't got to yeah. do 30 minutes. I mean, it got me thinking about just like cage rats, you know. What I mean? I always like think when minute there's like a cage or something up, uh, you know, obviously you can get the ones where like, oh, you can be pinned. My view is cage match, you're going over the top. Uh, I see we disagree on this. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah carry on. Yeah. I, I must admit from this one, I've never even really liked the door. Route. Yeah, no, however, no way door. However, watching this match with some of these big boys, I sort of think it probably rules out a lot of people if you if you if you don't do that. Yeah. Um, and it, so then I was actually, so the only thing I was trying to think when I was watching it was like, 
people's cage strategies. Like, why are people climbing up? Like, people are like climbing up to the like up onto the rope, like on their yeah, own. Why would you do that? Why yeah. would you put yourself in jeopardy? Yeah. There was one bit where this happens in the Royal Rumble loads. I never understand this when you've got someone's like pushing someone out, and then someone else comes and grabs the bloke pushing him out. Yeah, what are you doing? Then push him over. Happens in Royal Rumble all the time, like when they're not, like even when they're not tag teams. I don't understand. Like it happened um, in this, where I think Anderson was at the top, Barbarian then grabbed Animal, who was trying to push Anderson over. Help him! Bizarre. Like read that. That's what that little things like that annoy me. Where I'm like, that's ridiculous. If you did want to win this, and I do believe this, I say I did believe there's half a million pound up for grabs. Why am I saving on Anderson? Yeah, chuck yeah, him over. Chuck them both over. Yeah. Like, it's like ridiculous. If you're a tag team, chuck your tag team partner. I'll split the money if you like him that much. Ridiculous. Um, I'm getting agitated now. Um, <laughs> another highlight of mine here was JR goes, the crowd are in fraud. And literally, as it, the full stop hits, it pans to four people who look like they are at like a university lecture, just listening, <laughs> like when is when when or when can we leave this? It literally goes, the crowd are in fraud, and these four people are look couldn't look more bored um and you know they're saying stuff like there's pandemonium here when dusty wins there's pandemonium here no there's not there they was booed not. yeah it was well, it's just dead yeah it was just there was just nothing there i mean and then he wins a big boot um which also made me think no wonder they wanted the money if that was the other prize mm. so maybe i'll take what i said earlier well it's supposed to be gold thinking, apparently but i don't think it was and i was thinking i wonder where that boot is now what do i well, did with that boot Probably just chucked it. And then JR does, does call him, he ain't the prettiest. He's a rough old dog. He calls him a rough old dog. Yeah, He's been he in a lot pre- of fights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had this. Um, now you've got your wormhole stuff now that maybe you want to go, or should I just, should I just cut to the chase with my JR thing here? Uh, I'll tell you what. Yeah, go, go, go ahead and I'll, I'll come back to come back. So to the now the man yeah. in the blue. So it goes back to the commentary and the man in the blue hat yet again, just walks across the middle of the camera. <laughs> JR, I can swear, he looks so angry. His eyes rolled in the back of his head, right? He's looking like, you know, when you're just completely baffled. Yeah. And then about five seconds later, he then, he's not letting it go. He's like, then like nodding his head, like yeah. <laughs> in so much anger, like, I can't, what is going on? Like, do you know, you he just looks it. like I'm working with amateurs. And yeah. that bit was him just like, I've had enough. Why is there I not felt, a little thing around me to stop this happening? It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And like, but like literally I felt as soon as that happened, he was sort of like rounding it up. Like as in, I can't be doing with this anymore. I did actually notice a Lily. So anyway, you need to watch the clip on the Twitter to do that just because it is. Yeah. It's I've just, I've just if you, if you go back to the 25th of February, uh, 25th of Jan, I've just tweeted it. So I've have a look. Um, one, one little thing I did notice though is also just go for when it finished, no one left, which I thought was a bit strange. But yeah. Yeah. I thought was very interesting that I often discuss about how in Mid-South they're constantly going, oh, this is the best, you know, uh, you you don't get better. This is the best wrestling you're going to see, blah, blah, blah. His description of this was, you're not going to see anything more physical than what you see at the end. Because Ross wanted to be believable. Yeah, but I thought it was very interesting that he didn't just throw in best, great, amazing. He just chucked in physical. Yeah. And again... Good comp. Like, I mean, this is where he's learning his bread and butter, right? But do you know what? Maybe it's because he was angry as well. But I think he's got to the point where I ain't bigging this promotion up any more than I need to. I've just, 
sat through. He knows he he knows what a good match is. Yeah, he wishes he was back in Mid-South because that's yeah. out of that is out of business now. He yeah. would have been fuming about this. And yeah. you could tell. And I think, yeah, so Mr. Blue out, you just, you capped it all off and gave me a massive laugh at the end. So you know you made you were the best thing in the laugh. show. Um, yeah, so sad, isn't it? Yeah, he definitely was. Interestingly, I've just scrolled so there's a really good site. I don't know if this is one you looked at, but you've got all the awards for every, for every year. Um so Mid-South Mid-South got best television show in 85. Just you... to clarify, everyone, um, I'm recording next week and I was going to do all this, but, you know, let this guy oh, nick my thunder. I'm sorry, kidding. Go on, sorry, go, on, go on, go on, go on. Uh, yeah, so, so it got it in 85 and UWF got it in 86. So yeah. It was UWF for most of, most of 86. And the new category in 86, our old friend Adrian Street won best gimmick wrestler. Best, best gimmick. performer. Yes, yeah, he did. Unbelievable. What an I absolute legend. I do think it's brilliant that Mid-South won 85, and that's the, yeah. the year we're on now, which is... Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. I wonder what won 84. I'm going to have a quick, quick look at 84. The Adrian he, Street won Best Gimmick. Yeah, that's right. Don't worry, I'll clock that straight away. Yeah, I mean, that is... that is. I mean, just goes... Okay, so Best TV Show in 84 was New Japan, but I don't know what that was, to be honest. I don't, I don't know what access people would have had to New Japan in the, in the, in the US then. Um, if any, I, 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 do, I do wonder about that. But Mid South is number two, so um, yes, yeah, so, so two, two, one, and one is not bad at all. And eighty four was a very strong year for for Mid South. But a lot of people that I've spoken to that are UWF fan or kind of got into it around eighty five, eighty six, said that actually the eighty five and eighty six stuff is even better. So obviously we're okay. in, for, in for in for some good stuff here. And um, so this event was covered in the February 1st, 1988 issue of the Wrestling Observer. So just in a few interesting tidbits, Meltzer called the opener between Eaton and Koloff inexcusable. And what do you think he gave it as a star rating? Half. He gave it minus two stars. Oh, I didn't even know it was an option. Yeah, wow. minus two stars. Though he inexplicably gave, and I think he was a bit of a, he is a very, a very big fan of Ric Flair. What do you think he gave Flair and Hawk? Two, three and three quarters. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, that's. Well, that's, as that's I said, nuts. though, as I said, I did get into that one though. Yeah, but so, I, I would and, say, uh, is he watching yeah. each match on merit, or is he watching it? You got to remember, he's watching the event, right? I assume I don't know how he does it, of course. But is he, is he going right? Seen that match? What star am I giving it back? Because I said, if you watch Flair, Flair um, on its own, you go, that's awful. But when you just seen them two awful ones. You then got like I got into it, and I think because I thought this is a bit different, I'm, I'm quite up for this. Yeah, so he, you know he I, mean? I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. There were bits of it that were okay, but then the finish killed it. So he watches each match on on merit. There is somewhere if you look hard enough, it's either Wade Keller's or Dave Meltzer, which are very similar systems, basically the same. But sometimes Keller gives something five stars, Meltzer hasn't. Um, but there is a the kind of definition of how he does it. I think matches start like maybe two and a half or three stars and then they go they go maybe two and a half something like that. Oh, and then, okay. in his mind he's like right this is here then it goes oh, okay. up or down based on the thing but i i would i would be struggling to give that th if that wasn't that so if you forget the finish i'd be struggling to give that three and a quarter no, and then i think the, yeah i think the finish takes a start a start whole star off it I would yeah. give it maybe a two and a quarter, two and a half, because it wasn't, it wasn't, you could never go recommend with that. I know you've gone, it was no. all right, but it was, was all right. right. It was, it was all right for me. It's probably, um, so recommend, I think it's probably three and three quarters or four stars and above. A much, must watch, probably 4.25. 4.25 is a bloody good wrestling match. Like if, if you get something that's, for, for example, Bret Hart and David Boy Smith at SummerSlam 92, pretty sure it's 4.25 minutes, which I think is harsh. 
But that's I think that's a superb wrestling match. It, not yeah. everything doesn't have to be five stars to be like the be all and end all. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm struggling here. There's also a really other bit. Um, he described a, just an awful mistake that had been made in the production of the tickets at Nassau Coliseum. Now I don't know whether this was their fault or this was this was bad information given by the promotion. But the card was lit was advertised with a 7 p.m. start. However, a good percentage of the tickets listed an 8 p.m. start. And the oh. show itself started at 6.35 p.m. when few mm. were even there and ended before 9 p.m. So those arriving in and around 8 missed most of the show. Um, Dave also wrote about the result of the main event. And, he, and I quote, and everyone in, NW, everyone in NWA already knows the crowd reaction after Nassau show. Lots of chance of refund, refund. And the pay-per-view audience heard that when Dusty Rhodes won the bunkhouse stampede, that the crowd booed and even I was shocked. So there were some boos. It was, it was a lot of um, kind of people just didn't seem all that interested. It was quiet, but there were, and boos yeah. always sound louder. I know it's no one, I know one, uh, so I didn't really notice anyone leaving. No, it, yeah, it, stru- yeah. it struck me because I was thinking I was going to ask, and was, do you know if there was anything after? But maybe it was people hanging around thinking, well, there must be something after. Yeah, I've, I've, only been here, I've only been here an hour. If, if you were, if it was you and I, and it said eight, and we knew it was a pay-per-view starting at eight o'clock, and it was the O2, say, We'd probably roll up outside at 20 past seven, half seven, wouldn't we? And yeah. get in, get a beer and get into our seats with five yeah. minutes to go, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be any earlier than that. No. So we'd have missed an hour and a half. Mm. Yeah, so which probably would have been a good thing for this show. <laughs> um, so honestly, this was like no exaggeration, no hyperbole. This was one of the worst front-to-back wrestling shows I've ever watched. And I'm giving this one out of 10. And that one is just for the bits in Ric Flair and Hawk I didn't hate. And also now the Jim Ross uh, blue cap guy, just a terrible, terrible show that you absolutely should not ever consider for one minute watching. So there's no redeeming qualities. And um, what did, what would you be your rating for this, uh, yeah, this I've show? Got, I've yeah. got one. I've got one. Just, just I've absolutely one. I, shocking. I, there's nothing else I could say. It's just, do you know what's where like, it's a pay-per-view, it's like four matches. Hmm. Like, oh, they're just, just the thought, just thinking about that. The amount of, times we've had this conversation particularly i know you sort of mentioned it a lot around just length of matches we've mentioned it here but you know any card that you're looking four matches all about 20 minutes no need yeah you know what i mean and do you know what the irony of it is if you look at the other three just cut by you've got three one-on-one matches at 20 minutes the main event with eight people was only an extra 10 minutes yeah yeah that shows yeah. you how long the other ones were that 20 minutes when there was eight people in it that was done in like less than half an hour 20 minute time limit draw on a 20 minute DQ. It's just like, I don't need that in, in my life. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on this before we reveal what we're doing next month? Uh, my final thought is I'm glad I'm picking next month. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So why don't you reveal? What are we doing for this month in Wrestling History 9? So I've looked at a number of different things. I was looking at uh, loads of February little events and the different promotions and then I just thought, you know what? I'm going to stick to stick to what I like, stick to what I know. And it had been a year since AEW Revolution. Yes, yeah. Which I thought 2020, which I thought was something else. And Mr. Meltzer certainly gave some bigger star ratings than uh, than a minus two on that one. So yes. it might only be a year ago, but. It's not been covered on the podcast, and it's certainly one I think it's worth recapping. Uh, yeah, I, com- I completely agree with you. And and just to kind of whet the appetites of uh, of any anyone that would be listening that hasn't hasn't seen that match, um, 
I would say that it contains one of the best matches that has ever been held in North America. And you could probably make an argument that it's the best match ever in North America. I mean, there's lots of arguments about, you know, every, all of this is uh, you know, open for debate and a lot of personal, pre- personal preference, but I can't, I can't think of a, a match. There's lots of matches that, I've, that I, I like more that are my favorites uh, if you like, but in terms of pure match quality, I think this is the, the, the tag match on this show is is one of the one of the best ever in any in any yeah. form. And it's certainly the best tag team match I've ever seen. So we look forward to AEW Revolution, and which seems it's only a year, it's not even a year ago as we record this, but that that feels like it. Could, it's just different. That's a lifetime uh, ago. Yeah, given everything that's happened in the last twelve months, obviously their last pay per view before um, you know before the pandemic struck, and I guess probably. I don't know if the WWE show was earlier or later than that in, in that month, but really one of the kind of the last big yeah. wrestling pay-per-views in North America before everything everything changed. So, Dan, thank you very much for your time again. Right. Um, where are where can people find you online to um, to ask you for your favourite NWO pay-per-views from 1988? <laughs> At Dan PFFC. Good stuff. Right, we shall That's see fun. you all next. Well, Dan will be back. Trying to think when this is gonna gonna be airing. So we'll be back for the next two Mid South episodes to bring us back in back in line as usual. And we'll obviously we'll be back for AW Revolution on the 28th of February. So you haven't got to wait till the you know if it's not a third, it's not a 30 day wow. month. It's not a 31 day month. It's not a leap year. You've only got 28 days to, to wait for that lucky, next lucky show. People. Lucky lucky people. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it why not head over to Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button, follow on Spotify or press whatever you need to where you listen to this show to receive the episodes as soon as they are released. We love reviews at Mid-South Moments, so why don't you make my day by leaving a five-star rating? Also, if you're interested in guest hosting in the future, please do reach out at Mid Moments on Twitter and I look forward to speaking with you all again very, very soon.